Okay, we've got the buttons pushed, probably not the right ones, but we'll try to get started. This morning I'd like to uh, talk a little about forgetfulness. And uh, Bill, not knowing what I was going to be speaking on, just walked right into it this morning. But he was going to do something and uh, how he forgot. Uh, so anybody ever forget anything? Do you take any precautions to keep forgetting things? And, and I do. Uh, recently, uh, doing a funeral over in Gary County. And uh, so before services, there was going to be a, some singers. So I went over to discuss the, the singers and everything, you know, about the order of things. And, and uh, so then I told him about some of my forgetfulness. So after the services uh, there was going to be uh, food and everything on the other end of the building so I would just leave my rather than take my Bible out the vehicle I just left it there on the pulpit and uh, so I was getting ready to go out for food and everything I told the, the singers over there I said I said well I said let me lay my keys over there I said because that way I won't forget my Bible I'll get out the vehicle and realize ah oh. so been there I don't know for an hour or so afterwards I don't know how long it was and I was getting ready to go out the door and Rest of my keys. Oh, so then I went, and the ladies had to be in the same place again, talk to them, so they thought that was kind of funny. So forgetfulness. Uh, you know, kind of in the old days, used to when the, they had a saying, tie a string around your finger. So if you tie a string around your finger to remember something, and out in front of you, you would you would remember. Uh, Would you, and, and I guess it depends on how important something is to you, if you'd forget it or not. Uh, you mothers, would you forget the birth dates of your children? I don't think so. Would you forget to feed your small babies in your care? I don't think so. So I want to talk about God for a moment, and can he forget? And I'd like to go to Isaiah chapter 49, and some follow along, some would rather just listen, and that's okay too, just glad that you're here. So as we think about God for a moment, of course we know God can't forget or anything. We know that consciously, but then subconsciously we may think otherwise sometimes. If you ever... Uh, been in a, 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 a time or a position or condition, you think, God just forgot about me. Can he? Would he? So Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 14. It says, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. So have you ever been in that position that you felt, oh, God just forgot all about me? Now, whatever we think doesn't establish what's true or not. We may think, but whatever we think, that's, that's not the final answer. We may think a lot of things that is not correct. Now, as we, well, let's look at verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? That she should not have compassion on the son of her womb. 
You think, well, that, that couldn't happen. A woman couldn't forget her baby that she was nursing and so forth. But it says, yea, they may forget. Now, what's the chance of them forgetting? Well, I don't think a chance is very high that they're going to forget. But yet it gives us some context here of what it's saying. He says, yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. So we're talking about God, and, and, and it's hard to understand God, but sometimes he puts it into a form that we can relate to. So uh, Israel one time, oh, God's forgotten all about us. That's what they thought. Again, have you ever felt in a place, just felt abandoned, and, and God forgot all about you? Well, you may say yes, but that doesn't mean that he forgot about you. So this gives the example, can a woman forget her nursing child? Well, you would think absolutely not. But it said, well, that's a possibility. But he says, yet I will not forget thee. Can we believe it? Do we tear this page out? But then it goes on in verse 16. He says, behold, I have engraved thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. So here God says, I have engraved thee upon the palms of my hands. We know God's not going to forget. We know God is God. But again, he puts it into a context here that, that uh, we can relate to. And, uh, and I guess, well, not I guess. It shows us the depth of his love that he would not forget. So he told us, you know, a woman may forget a nursing child. Again, that's not high chance she's going to do that. But he said, but I'll never forget thee. And then he tells us a reason why in verse 16. Behold, I have engraved thee upon the palms of my hands. Well, what's he talking about? When our Lord Jesus Christ... After he was crucified, and you know, Thomas wasn't going to believe it unless he could put his fingers, you know, in the hole. What, what was in the palm of his hands? It was a nail where he had been crucified. So Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for you. And it says, I've engraved thee upon the palm of my hands. So the palm of his hands, he sees the nail print. He sees the cross. He sees his shed blood. And something else that I didn't uh, notice before, he didn't say, I've got your name there. He said, I've got you engraved in the palm of my hands. He went to the cross for you. And when he sees that, again... The Lord doesn't need a reminder. He's not going to forget. But it's, again, it's something we can relate to and see the depth of it. So when he sees that, if, if he would ever forget, and again, we know that's not possible, but it's just showing us the depth. So right there, you are engraved on the palm of his hands. You is why he went to the cross and was crucified. So is there any chance that he can forget his own? And there is no chance of that whatsoever. Uh, 
And then it says, uh, thy walls are continued before me. We won't go into that very much, but walls here are speaking of, of, of protection. If we go back in that day and time, uh, a, a strong city would have walls around it, and that was for their protection and everything. But here he says, thy walls or thy protection is continually before me. So you are engraved in the palm of his hands. Your protection is ever before him. His children cannot fall from his grace. Your protection is ever before him. Uh, Jeremiah 31 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Everlasting, doesn't that tell us something? Everlasting love. You say, well, I thought that you earned God's love. And then as long as you kept on the straight and narrow, he would love you. But if you've done something bad, then he no longer loved you. Well, that wouldn't be an everlasting love, would it? Everlasting love? Well, I think we know what that means. So I'd like to go to Psalm chapter 89 to talk about that for a moment. You say, well, I thought we, you know, we did good, and then if we did bad, then he uh, abandons us and uh, no longer loves us. So Psalms 89, and I think we'll start in verse 30. So we just quote there in Jeremiah, I've loved thee with an everlasting love. Don't, don't forget that. Everlasting love. What? No, he's going to get mad and then cast me in the pit. That wouldn't be everlasting love. You might say, well, what if we do something wrong? And it's not what if, it's when. <laughs> when we do something wrong. And that's a, a study all in its own, what that would consist of. But Isaiah 89 and verse 30. If his children forsake my law... And walk not in mine ordinances. If they break my statutes. And keep not my commandments. So let's pause there for a minute. So if his children do that. If they break his laws and break his ordinances. And don't keep his commandments. Then what? Then he'll cast them in the lake of fire? It's not what the scripture says. There is a then. But that's not what it says after that. Then will I visit their transgression with the rod. And their iniquity was striped. In other words, they'll be chastening. And there's a big difference between chastening and punishment. Lake of fire is punishment. Correcting is not punishment. It's correction for the benefit. So he says, I'll visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity was striped. There'll be correction. But then listen to what verse 33 says. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor will I alter the thing that's going out of my lips. So his children, yes, there'll be some things that he will correct them for. But he says, my loving kindness, my mercy, I'll never take from him. He has an everlasting love, right? Can you do something to break his everlasting love? Again, it wouldn't be everlasting love. Uh, 
Isaiah 56 says, I have given them an everlasting name. Thou shalt not be cut off. So there you look at Israel, he's given them an everlasting name, and they would have inheritance in the land of promise and everything. Uh, so this would also apply to us, to his children. He's given them everlasting name. It won't be cut off. They'll still have their inheritance. So when we think of everlasting and God's everlasting love, I want us to comprehend what it's really saying. Well, what if I do something bad? Well, that's why we read Psalms 89. He may visit with the rod of correction, but his loving kindness, his mercy, he will not take from them, nor will he forget, right? Uh, Book of Jude. So I want us to to focus on this everlasting and, and not forgetting and the security we have knowing this. Book of Jude. And uh, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So this says here that they were, he said, uh, to them that are sanctified by God. Now, sanctified means uh, to make holy or purity. So it's sanctified means to make holy, make pure. So he says, these that are sanctified by God. Can you make yourself pure? Can you make yourself holy? Can you sanctify yourself in this matter? Well, this says, those that are sanctified by God the Father. And it says, and preserved. Preserved in Jesus Christ. Preserved. Uh, to keep something um, in its, in its uh, pure state is what it is. So uh, he has sanctified. Now, so these that he's sanctified, now it says they're preserved. In Jesus Christ. They're kept in that sanctified position. They're preserved. Let me ask you, how well are we preserved? How well are you preserved? Wouldn't it depend on, what does it depend on? If I, so I ask how well are you preserved? What does it depend on? You? Me? Wouldn't be preserved very well. Wouldn't have any confidence in that. But it says preserved in Jesus Christ. So we're sanctified, made holy, and preserved in that condition by Jesus Christ and what he's done. Uh, and we can talk about and called. Uh, that goes on as well. Uh, we won't go into that part of it uh, today. Um, but how well are you preserved? How well are we preserved? And it's a question we, we should ask ourselves. 
there's many answers to that in the scriptures. And one of my, one of my favorite scriptures, and actually I have it here on a bookmarker, Hebrews 7.25 tells us how well we are preserved. It says, Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So how well are you preserved? Well, this says he is able to save to the uttermost. And, and you folks know I love that word uttermost. No other means possible. I use example this building sometimes. How safe is it from fire? Well, we've got a bell up there and a button over here that you pull uh, in case of fire. How safe is it? I think that bell has a battery in it. Uh, and uh, pretty sure it's never been changed. But how, so, so far as protecting this building from fire, how safe is it? Well, we've got a, a pull station there. Well, that's something. Uh, when this building was built, I believe all the carpet and uh, fabric on the seats, I believe they were treated with a fire retardant, thing like that. So, well, okay, it's a little safer from fire. I'm not positive. I believe the wood was treated with a fire retardant. Okay, that makes it a little more safe from fire, but is there anything more we could do? Well, there's other things we could do. Uh, we could take the rest of the wood out and replace it with steel. The trusses and everything, they could make steel trusses and things like that. Uh, we could put in a sprinkler system and make it more safe from fire. Uh, we could take our fire extinguisher back there, which is down in the red so far, it looked like it's never seen the green, and we could get our fire extinguishers filled and this building would be a little bit safer. But after we went through everything we could possibly do, I mean, everything was covered. There's no other safety system, no other alarm, nothing else that could make it any more safe. Then that's how that word uttermost, that's what it means. He is able to save to the uttermost. So... If we take that, we talk, in James there it says, sanctified, made holy, and preserved. Saved in that sanctified position. And we ask, how, how safe are you? How preserved are you? If it's based on us, but that says preserved in Jesus Christ. And then it says in Hebrew there, Wherefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. You can't save yourself to the uttermost. I can't save myself to the uttermost. But it says he is able to save to the uttermost. And again, the uttermost means there's no other means possible. You can't be more safe. My first pastor would say, I'm as sure as being in heaven whenever I die as if I was already there. Well, he's there. But he's not any safer, he's not any more saved than the Lord's sheep that's on the earth right now. 
Well, how can you say that? You don't know what they're going to do the rest of their life. I know I don't know what I'm going to do the rest of my life. But I know what Jesus Christ did. And we're preserved in Jesus Christ. And he has saved to the uttermost. No other means possible. Doesn't that cause you to be grateful? Doesn't that cause you to have comfort? Knowing that been sanctified, but he's the one that preserves. First of all, he's the one that sanctifies. He's the one that makes you pure and holy. And then he's the one that preserves you in that condition. And we ask, how preserved are you? Well, he's able to save to the uttermost. You can't be any more saved. Can't be any more saved. Uh, Titus chapter 2. And uh, verse 13 and 14, Titus 2, 13 14. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're looking, I, I pray that's what you're looking to. Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son. I pray you're looking to that and not to yourself. So it says, uh, at the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who, and this is going to further describe who this is, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all, from all iniquity. And purify to himself a people of his own, zealous of good works. So looking to this God and this Jesus Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us, that he might buy us back, that he might, might pay the price. That's who we're looking to. So the one that gave himself for us, he redeemed us, he paid this price, is he going to forget us? Well, I think we established the answer to that. But even ourselves, maybe, uh, I don't have, I got a little pocket knife I usually carry with me sometimes, and it's not real valuable. And I've lost a couple of pocket knives, not, not many. But I've got pocket knives that my brother left me when he passed away. And by God's grace, I'll never, I'll never leave that somewhere. So here he gave himself for us. He paid that price. Is he going to forget us? Okay, you have confidence knowing, said, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a people of his own zealous of good works. Okay, you have confidence. He, first of all, he fully redeemed. He did not make a down payment. He fully redeemed his own. And he will not forget. Romans tells us <clears throat> he's seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Well, <clears throat> the devil may go up there to God, to the throne of God, with all these charges against you. Say, look here. 
Well, Jesus Christ says, seated on the right hand, making intercession for you. Now, this is just something that we kind of picture in our minds. We don't know exactly how it will be. It's, it's stated in a way that we may have some understanding of it. So if we picture the throne of God, we picture Jesus Christ, as it says in 8th chapter of Romans, who's there making intercession for you. So then devil comes along, hey, I know this person. Here's a big list. Well, our Redeemer, our Savior, the one that paid this price for us, that's there making intercession for you, what would he have to do? What would he have to do to God to judge when Satan lays a charge against you to God to judge? So here's a list. What would our intercessor have to do? There you are, engraved in the palm of his hands. He could go before the judge there. I went to the cross for them. I redeemed them. I paid the price in full. Hebrew 12 and 2, I also love. Talks about Jesus Christ. Well, let's just go look at it. <clears throat> Hebrew 12 and, and 2. And it says, <clears throat> looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. So if this is true, and I say that if it's not true, rip the page out. Well, it's true. Let's leave it in there. But it says, talking about this Jesus Christ, looking unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. It tells us why he went to the cross. It tells us why he endured the cross. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So this one that has these nail prints, your name's engraved there. He considered you joy. That's why he went to the cross. And... <clears throat> I told you I like to visualize a lot of things. And <clears throat> football season, we see these stadiums crowded with 100,000 people. <clears throat> and you see them. But that's not what this, that's not a way to look at this. He says, for the joy that was set before him. I don't think it was like just a crowd of faceless people. In fact, I know it wasn't. If he has you engraved in the palm of his hands, it's you. And you, and you, and you. So, for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. So somehow, in God's ways that I don't know, in eternity past, God set before Jesus Christ the ones that he would give him, the ones the Father would give the Son, Set him before him. And the son considered you joy. And that's why he went to the cross. That's why your name, or you are engraved in the palm of his hand. He went to the cross. He considered you joy. He considered you most precious. 
And let me just state this. <clears throat> Every one of his sheep, he will redeem. They will be in glory with him. You say, well, I don't know, but if you do something bad, we already, we already read the scripture on that. He won't remove his loving kindness. He saved them to the uttermost. They can't be any more saved. Uh, while we're here in Hebrew, let's go to the second chapter. <clears throat> Hebrew 2 and, and 2 says, For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and listen to this, every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Now that's, we may have to look at that for a moment. Every sin, every transgression, every act of disobedience will receive a just recompense of reward. Now that reward might not be, uh, well, I'll try to give you an example. When I was little, and maybe I would misbehave, my mom would say, you're going to get it when we get home. And I'll say this, she never forgot, Bill. <laughs> she never forgot when I got home, I got it. I got, a, I got the reward I deserved. Now, it wasn't a reward like a trophy and candy and all this and that. I got the spanking or the switch or the fly swat or something like that. So what this says is that every transgression, every act of disobedience is going to receive a just recompense of reward. It's going to receive what it deserves. So, every sin, and let me say it this way, every sin of every one of God's elect throughout every age, Jesus Christ paid for it. Now, there will be some that will pay for their own. Again, every sin is going to be paid for. Every act of disobedience is going to be paid for. The question is, who's going to pay for it? Those that pay for their own will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Those of the Lord's sheep, he paid the price. He redeemed them. But it wasn't just, zap, these sins are gone. To you and I, yes. But they had to be paid for. Every sin, every transgression, every act of disobedience will receive the just recompense of reward. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, a lot of people went to the cross. And it was horrible. But nobody paid what he paid. Think about it for a moment. The penalty of sin is death, the scripture tells us. So think of every one of God's sheep throughout all the ages. Think of every one of their sins, and that's what he paid for. Can't, can't quite fathom that, can we? But that's what he did. Isn't that a manifestation of his love and how much he loved us? Uh, it also says in Hebrew 1 and 3... <clears throat> who being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. And listen to this. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus Christ by himself, he paid for our sins. You can't pay for your sins. He paid for your sins. He by himself. Well, 
I had my part. No, your part was used on the receiving end of it. You can't pay that. Uh, <clears throat> let me read in Ephesians chapter 1. And several other scriptures, but we're going to have to let some of them go. Book of Ephesians chapter 1. And by the way, this, is, this scripture is uh, hated by many. But uh, it's greatly loved by me and, and the Lord's sheep. So we're talking about the Father and the Son. Talking about their, their love. Talking about not going to forget. Talking about everlasting love. Talking about He redeemed us. He paid for your sins. And I want to I want to show us our place. And our place in all this is simply on the receiving end. We have nothing to pay with. We have nothing to give. So let, let's look at this in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him. Now let's define who those are. According as he, that's God, hath chosen us, that's his elect. In Christ, in Him, in Christ. So we see God choosing, God choosing. God choosing an elect in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's what it says. Let me read it again. According as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So if this is true, if it's not true, tear it out. Mine's going to stay in there by God's grace. But God chose the elect, gave them to Christ before the foundation of the world. They are sanctified, they are preserved, they are saved to the uttermost. So God, according as he had chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. Again, that's about the definition of sanctified. God chose us in Christ. <clears throat> and we, when we say in Christ, we know what we're talking about. We're talking about his death on the cross and shedding his blood. God chose us in that <clears throat> before the foundation of the world. And, you know, questions will pop in our mind. Well, God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that would be presented holy and without blame before him in love. But what are we going to, how does he know what we're going to do? Well, of course, God knows everything. But it wasn't based on what you do. It's based on Jesus Christ being chosen in him, his death on the cross. And then it says, <clears throat> having predestinated. Predestinated means predetermined. Now, I... Predestinate and predetermine a lot of things. Rarely do they come to pass. <laughs> I, I predetermine what I'm going to do at work tomorrow, uh, but usually it doesn't come to pass, at least in my, my, the time that I won't. But God doesn't have that problem. It says, having predestinated us into the adoptions of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. 
if God predestinates it. If God predestinates, it means it's determined beforehand. In this case, we know beforehand is before the foundation of the world. So if God determined before the foundation of the world that a particular one or another particular one or, or individuals would be presented wholly without blame, they would be presented, they would be adopted as sons, what's going to be the outcome? They're going to be presented wholly without blame. On the basis of what they did? No, it's all on the basis of what Jesus Christ did. It says, having predestinated us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to, according to how good you've been, according to the good pleasure of his will. That's what it's according to. To the praise of the glory of his grace, through which he made us accepted in the beloved. You don't make, I heard somebody, I think it was this morning on television, or maybe it was yesterday, to make yourself right with God, to make yourself acceptable. That's what much of the world teaches, but not what the scripture says. He hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. I remember when I first began to see and understand and believe this, and I thought, that's, I mean, that's, that's great that God chose me and Christ before the foundation of the world, that I'll be presented wholly without blame. And I saw that for his elect. But then one day, I had the thought, what if I'm not one of them? What if I'm not one of them that was chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world? I, I read all these wonderful things for his elect and, and how secure they are and he won't forget them. They're engraved in the palm of his hands. And, and they were, that was a joy set before Christ and before the foundation of the world in eternity past. And, and that was great. And then one day I thought, well, what if I'm not one of them? That was uh, not a good time for me. What if I'm not one of them? I knew I couldn't change it. I couldn't go back before the foundation of the world. He, he chose his elect in Christ before the foundation of the world. I knew I couldn't go back there. <clears throat> so what if I'm not one of them? How do you know? Well, the day that I found that out was a good day. It was a bad day when I thought, well, what if I'm not one of them? I knew I couldn't change it. But it was a good day when I found the answer. It's in Acts 13, uh, 1348. And it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. We won't take time. We're out of time. We don't have time to talk about what they heard. But you've heard things this morning. You've heard things about God the Father, you've heard things about Jesus Christ, heard about He redeemed, heard about He chose before the foundation of the world, He considered you joy, that's why He went to the cross, you're engraved in the palm of His hands, so you've heard about Jesus Christ. So it says, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. I was glad when I heard that. That day that I didn't know whether for me or not, I wasn't glad. But I was glad when I began to hear the love of the Father and the Son and the 
course, many other scriptures we can go to. <clears throat> and I was glad, but then I thought, what if it's not for me? What if I'm not one of my chosen? Well, let me continue reading here. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad. They were glad because something they had heard and glorified the word of the Lord. And listen to this now. And as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. That was a good day when I saw that. As many as were ordained to eternal life believed. I knew that I believed. I, I, I knew I believed that Jesus Christ paid the price for the sins of his elect. That God chose him in Christ before the foundation of the world. I believed all that. Just at the time, then I didn't know if it was for me or not. But then when you read this, <clears throat> as many as were ordained to eternal life believed, people get that turned around. They tell you, well, if you believe, then that will cause you to have eternal life. That's not what this is saying at all. What this says, as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. So the ones that God ordained to eternal life gave to the Son from eternity past, before the foundation of the world, they'll believe. So then, if you believe <clears throat> that Jesus Christ paid for your sins, that God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, according to His love, according to His grace, according to His mercy, if you believe that you're preserved in Jesus Christ, preserved well, if you believe that He saves to the uttermost and you can't fall from that, then... That's proof that you were ordained to eternal life. Your belief doesn't get you eternal life. Your belief proves to you that you're one of them. It says, all that was ordained to eternal life believed. May the Lord bless the speaking of his word. We're dismissed.